No, we want to have a faith that's real so that the other people around us that are living in this life that are also struggling and that don't know Jesus will go, look, man, I know you don't have it all together, but I know something's different about you. And I know this very clearly. I want what you have. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Take your Bible and turn to James, James chapter 2. Pray of your Bible with you and your notes there in front of you as we're I'm going to dig deep, as we always do, into the Word of God, the Word of truth. And here we are today in James chapter 2, looking at verses 14 through 17 in an incredible text. And you'll see the title there in your notes is a question. And the question is simply this, is my faith really alive? Just think about that for a moment and answer it truthfully. Is my faith, is your faith, is it really alive? Uh, We're going to see today from God's Word, we're going to use it as uh, the schoolmaster, the tutor, we're going to use it as the mirror today to clearly see the answer to that question. Because you don't want to leave here today with having a question, you want to know where you stand with your faith. James chapter 2, looking at verses 14 through 17 As you're turning there, we're going to be entering into a 13-verse study here over the next several weeks that we're going to see very clearly what it is to have faith and works and and how that intersects and and how there's truth behind that and, and there's necessity behind both. Today, just looking at four verses. So here it is, James chapter 2. Follow along if you would, please. Verse 14 says this, What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Look at 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now look at 17, our final verse. So also, don't miss that, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let me read that again, verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now go up to verse 12 there in your Bible, and I want to make sure we have a context here of 12 and 13. So let's use this as our launching pad, use this as our springboard. Verse 12 says this, so speak, don't miss that, and so act. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Why? For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So here it is. So here's our context, church. So so James comes out of the gate here in 12 and 13. He says this. He says, look, You need to speak and you need to act. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And as you're doing this, remember the context he's talking to, those Jewish believers, there's obviously some sort of a struggle going on here. There's some struggle of partiality, could have been racism, could have been just having favoritism, if you will, towards that the rich guy to the the poor guy that come in, and we've dialogued about that. 
But you see here, he says, so speak and so act. And this is very, very important. Because as he drills down, he says, look, here's the deal. You need to show mercy. You need to be a person, a man, a woman, a student, a child that extends mercy. As we so joyfully want the mercy of God, we receive it, we crave it, we hunger for it. We need to equally lavish that on other people. This is not a one-way street called the mercy street. No, this is a two-way street. As God extends mercy to me and you, we need to be willing to extend that back to other people. We do it joyfully because, well, we know how jacked up we are, right? I mean, we're all messed up. Every one of us is, myself at the top of the list. And if God is blessing us with the favor of Jesus Christ, with His blood, His righteousness, how can we, how can you and I now be the judge on saying, hey, I'll take it, but I'm going to be real, real cautious on who I extend it to? James says, watch out. Be careful. It will creep in. It will slither in unnoticed of who we're extending this mercy to. And he says, look, here's the deal. He says, church, I want to show you what this looks like. And in verse 14, he asks a question. There's actually, as we look at these verses here, there are going to be three questions and one definitive statement. Three questions, one definitive statement. And the first one's right here in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So let's just pause for a moment. Just pause for a moment. And let's think about this. So James, when he is making this statement by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do you notice that James didn't say, look at your Bible. He didn't say that someone had faith. He said, don't miss this. Here we go. That someone says they have faith. So the whole point of this message here is that it's easy to be a sayer, but are we really a doer? We live in an Americanized culture in the West here where in evangelicalism, saying you're a believer, everyone loves Jesus, right? Everyone loves God. That's what we do in America, right? Well, we say, hey, you know, you're a good church-going person. Uh, she's a godly woman. They got baptized when they were seven. They must be in, right? It's one thing to say it. It's a whole different ball game to live a life that backs up the message. And James is saying, look, you got a guy who comes in and says, hey, 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 I have faith. I have faith. But I don't have any evidence of it. James says, can that faith save? Can that faith save? What good is it? Think about this for a moment. Let's paint the picture together. So what good is it? It means to profit. You're a business owner. If you're a business owner, you're in business. You don't make a profit. What do you do? You go out of business, right? You're done, right? Out of business. Uh, not a good deal. Not a good deal, right? You're out of business. That's how this thing works. So many people that I've come across in ministry, man, they talk a good game. Man, we're in for Jesus. He's awesome. But, but you watch the life. You watch the commitment. You watch the devotion. And you see two different stories being lived out. James says, look, what good is it? What's it going to profit me? The Bible says this, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What would it profit me and you if, if you accomplish every hope and dream 
Maybe even right now, let's do an exercise. So picture right now, in your mind's eye, just picture right now, we all got them, I got them, you got them. Picture right now where you want to get to. Like in life where you want to get to. That beach house, that gated community. Whatever it is you're longing for in life. Let me ask you a question. When you get there, will God be there? I mean, that's really the question, isn't it? Like when we get to where we want to go, our hopes and dreams, because by the way, hopes and dreams can be really, really good things. But the question is, when we get there, will God be there? Like, is God leading me there? Is God leading you there? Or is the reality, we're good talkers and we're the ones leading God versus him leading us? That's why key number one, I want you to write this down in your notes. Key number one, here it is. Key number one, write it down. If I talk a good faith game, but I'm not truly, make a note of that, truly living for the Lord, the faith I profess is useless. Let me say that again. Key number one, if I talk a good faith game, but I am not truly living for the Lord, the faith I profess is useless or empty. It's vain. It's it's vanity, it's void, it's empty, it's that, that tree that, you know, looks so good on the outside, right? And the, the tree guy comes over and he comes up in your yard and says, hey, uh, I got bad news for you. You're like, what bad news do you got? He's like, see that tree? Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? Look how tall it is. Yeah, it's really tall. Uh, what's the problem, sir? Well, it's dead. It's dead? Yeah, you got to cut it down. It looked good on the outside, but the reality, the, the, the great revelation of what the tree really is, is, is that the tree's dead. It's decayed. That, that can be our hearts if we're not careful. We can, again, be good, good talkers, good, good sayers, if you will. Hey, love Jesus, all in for Him. But the reality is, it's not so much that we know Jesus. The real question is we're going to learn at the end of this message is, does He know us? Because we can say all day long, we know Jesus, but does He really know you? Does he know you? Does he know me? For those that are his sheep, he knows. That's what the word says. Oh, he knows. He knows intimately. You know, when James says here, what good is it? He asks that question. He says, what good is it? What's it going to profit? Can that faith save? That word save is this. It means to rescue. And this is always a real good defining moment for all of us and all of our lives is to truly analyze the question when you go back in time and you say, you know what, I was saved on this date and you know, I walked an aisle and I raised the hand and I said the prayer and I you know, signed the card and got baptized. All good things in and of themselves, but they don't save, amen? That word save is rescue. And when you are saved, when I am saved, you will know you've been rescued. Like how many people do you see that got rescued from some calamity and after the fact they go, I had no idea I got rescued. How did that happen? Oh man, they know, don't they? And they're telling everybody about it, aren't they? Man, I can't believe what just happened. Man, I was stuck in the woods for, you know, 40 days and 40 nights. You know, I got rescued. And they're telling everybody. They're drowning in the ocean, sinking. Someone came by in a boat, pulled me out. I got rescued. They're telling everybody. It's the same thing about salvation. I mean, when it's that real, when it's true, when the blinders have been just ripped off, when we now see clearly, when the deaf can now hear, man, we're just kind of like, okay, I'm telling everybody because like, this is awesome. And yet the reality we see in Americanizing the West is 
We've dumbed this thing down to all this external, no heart transformation. Just kind of what we do, right? We just kind of go to church occasionally and kind of in for Jesus partially. And hey, hasn't struck me as lightning, so you must be okay with it. Well, that's risky, foolish thinking. Because James says, can that faith save him? Here's what he's saying. Is it real? Hey, I'm in. I'm talking. It's great. Blah, blah, blah. Life over here, living for the world, living for self. Love Jesus. How can you love the world and love Jesus? Jesus even says you're either for me or against me. You can't be both because if you ride the fence, as the old saying says, Satan owns the fence. So important that we grab onto this. True saving faith is an obedient faith. Don't miss that. True saving faith is an obedient faith. True saving faith is an obedient faith. It's faith in action. Write these verses down that I I pray will encourage you, inspire you, and challenge you from the Word of God. Because talk is cheap, isn't it? Talk is cheap. Here it is, 1 Peter 1.16. 1 Peter 1.16. Short verse from the Word of God. I didn't make it up, so here's what the Word of God says. You shall be holy for what? For I am holy. So we're imitating the Lord, aren't we? He's our benchmark. He's the one we're aiming for. Did you notice here? Look in your Bible there for a moment. Just look at it. Look on the screen. Here it is. So James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Now, 1 Peter 1.16, you shall be holy. He doesn't say, uh, here's the deal, uh, why don't you say you're holy? Go tell people you're holy. Go be a holy roller. Go be a holier than thou. Is that what he's saying? Of course not. He says, go be. See, there's saying and there's being. This is the crux of what James is getting at here. He's saying, look, You can't continue in this pattern of just telling people you have faith. At some point, the faith has to be real. And when the faith is real, it will be manifest with works. Not for salvation, but from salvation. I mean, there'll be a desire. There'll be a hunger, a thirst. Jesus even said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Think about that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when you're hungry, like, what are you doing? Well, hopefully the one thing you're not doing is going shopping, amen? Like, have you ever done that before? You're hungry and you go shopping? Like, you get out of there and like, you have nothing left in your debit card. You know what I mean? Because you're just like, everything you see, you're throwing in the cart, you know? Like, you're putting people in there even. It's just amazing what goes on. You're, you're just, you're crazy. It's just nuts. Well, well, here's the deal when you're hungry, you're trying to satisfy something. When you're thirsty, I mean, you're wanting to satisfy. Jesus is the living water. He's the bread of life. You don't have to thirst when you come to him. When you really come to Jesus, he will satisfy. But there's a pursuit in this. Have you noticed that? There's a pursuit. And I think that's where the disconnect happens often in the American church. You know, I got four Sundays this month, and I, if I give Jesus two... And if the preacher doesn't preach too long, um, you know, hey, that's good. That even gives me bonus points if he does go long. And here's the deal. We'll just suffer through this, and that's good enough, right? It's almost like a score system we've developed. 
And Jesus is like, look, I'm not looking for a score system. I just want your life. I just want you to be all in. I want you to pursue me and all that you do. John, I don't want that, that I revolve around your schedule. I want such a deal that I am your schedule. Jesus doesn't want to be just something you check off. Okay, here's Sunday morning. Okay, give that to Jesus. No, he wants to become your schedule. You get up, I get up in the morning, and, and this is what I'm trying to do. I'm learning because I'm struggling in this as well, but, but let's get up every morning going, okay, Jesus, like this is your day, not mine. What do you want to do with my life today? And begin to live in that vein. Can you imagine what's going to happen in my life and your life? That we now get off the throne of our lives, put Jesus where he belongs and go, hey, this is your day. You gave me another breath and I want to live it for you. So, so what do you want to do? Where are you going to take us today, Jesus? Like, what are we going to do today? Just imagine how that's going to change all of us, myself at the top of the list. Because we're struggling, aren't we? We struggle in life. Life's hard. So many disappointments, so many setbacks, uh, so many wounds from the past that we drag along. Life is hard. Now, we want to have a faith that's real so that the other people around us that are living in this life that are also struggling and that don't know Jesus will go, look, man, I know you don't have it all together, but I know something's different about you, and I know this very clearly. I want what you have. Because what I say is I've learned recently in my own brokenness. I can stand up here and talk a good game. I can do this. But I can go home and not live a good game And that's going to preach a thousand messages in a negative way. We want to be a people that are all in for Jesus. And when we're all in for Jesus, we will talk about it. Oh, yes, we will. But man, we're going to live it. We're going to be that light. We're going to be that city on a hill. You're going to go to work and they're going to see the good works in you. And they're not going to glorify you. They're going to glorify the Father in heaven because they see Christ in you, the hope of glory, as the word of God is dwelling in you richly. So, so important. 1 Peter 1.16, you shall be holy. Not say you're holy, be holy for I'm holy. How about Philippians 2.12? Write that one down. Philippians 2.12. So Paul's writing here to the church in Philippi. And as he's writing here, he says these powerful words. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. Don't you love that? So there's doing, there's action, just not saying. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So Paul knew the substitute teacher rule, right? When the substitutes in the classroom, the kids typically play, he says, look, when I'm gone, obey like you did when I was there. And then he says these words, very interesting words. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, some might read that and go, wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace. We are, amen? We are saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 9, we're saved by grace lest any man should boast. It's all about the grace, the unmerited favor of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. When you think about that, Paul's writing here, and what he's saying here is not to work it out to earn it. He literally is saying here, work on your salvation. He's saying, live out your salvation. How do you do that? With fear and trembling. What's that mean, fear and trembling? Well, it means this. When we're truly saved, and we can ask that question, what good is it? Because we know we're truly saved, so it is good, it is profitable. Here's what we learn. We know very clearly from Scripture that when you see this, that fear is a holy awe and reverence. Just a holy awe and reverence. Like when was the last time that you just stood in awe of the Lord, truthfully? 
just stood in awe. Can you think about a time recently that you just stood in awe? You're like, wow, man, you're awesome, God. I'm not you, you're it. Wow, you're amazing. Holy awe. See, we're to work on, work out. We are to live out our salvation. That's why, again, if I talk a good faith game, key number one, but I'm not truly living for the Lord, the faith I profess is useless. It's empty. Now take a look for a moment, church, at verses 15 and 16. So James is rolling out a 14 there in your Bible. And now he's going into 15 and 16. He's going to give a, what I'd call a basic illustration of faith in action. And he's going to do this in the context of mercy and compassion. So let's put this together. Here it is. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, did you catch that? So keep this theme, saying and doing. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them action, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So here in three verses, James has asked the same two questions twice. He says, look, what good is this? What is this going to profit in verse 14 if a man, a woman, a student, a child says, look, hey, I'm in for Jesus. I raised the hand. I said the prayer. I did what they told me to do, got baptized. But the reality is there has not been any transformation. What good is it? Well, we know the answer. It isn't any good. There is no profit to this. It's now been external, just external effort produced as all this has been. Might have been a nice ceremony. Might have been sweet. Might have had a lot of pictures on Facebook. Great, praise Jesus. But the question is this, has the heart been changed? Is there a radical conversion of the heart? Not a perfection of the heart. We still stumble forward, but there will be a marked change. Jesus does not encounter people and leave them the way they were. When you have truly given your life to Christ, and I pray everyone here in the room has, if you haven't, I pray today will be the day of salvation. But if you haven't given your life to Christ, here's the deal. You have not experienced what those in the room have, and that is they can look back, even though they're not perfect, they can look back and go, I don't even recognize that person. I don't recognize that guy. I don't recognize that lady. There's just such a difference. There's such a change in my life that Jesus Christ came into my life and he made all things new. If you've made a profession, if you've been a sayer and you do not see the change in your life, if truthfully today you're going, you know what? I don't see any difference from this old guy, old woman I used to be. You need to go back and check your salvation. Because so many people are hanging on to an external commitment and an external commitment will never save. That's a works-based salvation right there. That's the irony in this. If we're hanging on to something we do, I got baptized, I walked an aisle, which again are all good things, but if we're hanging our hat, our eternal security, our eternal salvation on just something we did, even though the heart was never changed, this is all a phony baloney sham. And that's what James is getting at. He's saying, look, I'm going to cut to the core on this. Again, obviously, you don't address a situation unless there's a situation going on. Think back to that context. So he's dealing with Jewish believers. If you know anything about Judaism, 
What do you know? Well, there's a bunch of rules and regulations, right? So you wonder, perhaps, you know, they're over here on this pendulum swing. They give their life to this Jesus who is called the Christ. And perhaps now the pendulum goes the other direction. They're like, look, we're over here, rules, rules, rules. Wait a minute, we've been over here too long. We don't like rules anymore. Hey, let's all go over here. And perhaps that was the reason that James, by the power of the Holy Spirit, saying, look, we get you over here. Now you're way over here. And all you're doing is talking about this faith. But we're not seeing any fruit, any evidence that it's real. Can that save you? Can that rescue you? Of course it can't. That's why key number two is so important. So write down key number two. Here it is, key number two. And I want to weave this in, this thought of 15 and 16, those verses with this concept that we're talking about. So key number two, people don't care how much you know with words until they know how much you care through action. Let me say that again, key number two. People don't care how much you know with words until they know how much you care through action. Anybody besides me ever drop the ball in this department? Where you talk a good game? Just not faith, I'm just talking about in general. You just talk, talk about whatever. And then you don't follow through. Ever done that? I know I have. That blows your credibility, doesn't it? So take that spiritually. If we're talking me, because I'm guilty of this, I'm talking the faith game, I'm preaching a message today, I get out of the pulpit, do I go live this is the question. Like, do I go live the message I'm preaching? Well, the reality is not always. And that's not good. That's not a good thing. But as I stumble forward, we will be a people, I pray, together as we continue to grow together that will be that family, that unit, that team that says, look, we're going to move forward in one accord and we're going to do so. And one of the ways we can do this is to show people how much we love them through action. Now look here for a moment in, in verse 15 and 16, 15 especially. It says if a brother or sister, now this is not a blood relative. He's talking about the body of faith, the church. So the context here is if a brother or sister in the body is hurting, if they're struggling, if they're poor, do we just look at them and go, hey, praying for you. You guys ever done that, by the way? Anyone else guilty of that besides me? Praying for you. And then you walk away, and how many times did you truthfully pray for them, right? Zero, amen? Come on now. Don't leave me up here hanging. I'm not the only one, right? I've done that, praying for you. It just flows, doesn't it? It should be on a t-shirt, praying for you, right? And we don't do it. Shame on me. Hey, go warm, be filled, peace. Meanwhile, people suffer in our body, our family. It's the same illustration. Hey, a guy comes into your church and says, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And then he lives a life that has zero evidence. Hey, you're poor. Hey, go be filled. Saying versus doing. Saying versus action. Faith in action is true saving faith. Not saving for salvation. Remember, it's always from. It's what happens when you're made new. When Hey, when something happens to you in life 
and it's exciting and it's refreshing. It invigorates you and you do what? You take action. When you believe in something, when you really believe in something, whether it's a cause, whether it's a passion of yours, might be a hobby, might be your family, might prayerfully be your faith. You believe, you believe, you believe. What do you do when you really believe something? What do you do? Well, you just sit back and ignore it, right? You do nothing. Of course not. I mean, when you believe something, I mean, you're inspired, aren't you? I mean, you want to go do something. You want to move the needle. You want to move the dial, so to speak. You want to make a difference. That's the same parallel with our faith. When we really believe Jesus and we just don't believe in Him, but we also believe Him. Here's the deal. When He makes all things new, and we see how lost we were, we see the wretch we were, how can we not want to go make a difference for His glory? Well, I'll tell you how we cannot. When it's not really real. When it's just a profession, you're not living in the renewal. You're living in an external act, and no wonder there's no heart transformation. James says, look, don't live there. Live in a place where all things have become new. It's real faith. It's saving faith. And oh, by the way, show people, not just by your words, words are important, but show people through action how much you really care. Write down this phrase. It's one of my favorite phrases. It's this, ministry is all about relationships. Write that down somewhere. Ministry is all about relationships. It is an incredible piece of advice, just an incredible piece of advice that we all need to hear. What are relationships? Relationships are where you have at least two people and there's a relationship developed. Now, the relationship takes time. It takes work. There can be some conflict. There can be some challenges. But there takes a lot of effort in the relationship, right? How many of you are married? Raise your hand and get them really high. Don't be bashful. Come on, get them real high. Get them high, okay? You know that being married is not easy, amen? Truthfully, like if you want to know, and I'm talking to myself, if you want to know how selfish you are, get married, amen? I mean, that's how this works. It, It will reveal how selfish I am. It takes effort. It takes work to have a good marriage. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it and you prune it and you fertilize it and you weed it. And if there's not effort put into it, it's kind of like that ATM machine. You guys ever went to that ATM machine? You put your card in there and uh, they give you a a slip and it says uh, declined. Uh, Not a real fun experience, amen? Well, what you put into the machine is what you get out. It's the same thing with marriage, with all relationships, especially with your relationship with the Lord. Man, what you put into it. Man, if we're not in the Word, if we're not hungering for the Word, if we're not praying daily, if we're not asking the Lord to renew us and we're just kind of floating through life, we will get what we put into our relationship. That's how this works. The people that are turning the world upside down for Jesus are the ones that are just dialed in, man. They're just like all in. It's just their life. It's what they breathe. James says, look, your relationships with the Lord, yes, number one, but also with people, also with people. 
You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Philippians 2.4, write it down. Philippians 2.4. Here it is, Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but what? But also to the interests of who? Others. 1 John 3.17, not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.17. Write that down, 1 John 3.17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? There's that word brother again, not a brother relative, a brother in the faith. Someone in need, they're hurting, we have resources, and we look at them and just say, hey, go in peace. Hope it works out. Good luck. How can the love of God be in me and you when someone in our body is hurting and we shut our heart to them? How about lastly, Galatians 6.2. Galatians 6, 2, love this. Paul writes to the church in Galatians, he says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here's the deal. When Paul's writing this and he's saying to bear one another's burdens, often we think of bearing someone's burdens as perhaps maybe we, uh, uh, we just kind of go along and pick up a burden for them. And that's a good thing, by the way. Have them go pick up your burden, carry it. The visual that's painted here is much deeper. The visual that's painted here is that when, when I bear your burden or you bear my burden, that you literally, you come alongside of me in such a way that you take your shoulder and you take your shoulder and as you take that shoulder, take that shoulder and you put it up under my arm. So my arm's hanging over you. Your shoulder is under me. And literally I'm leaning on you I'm relying on you. You are, in essence, carrying me. That's what Paul is saying here. When he says to bear one another's burdens, uh, he's not saying just wish him luck and hope it works out. Don't be a sayer. He says be a doer, but in this context, literally find that need that you can meet as each one of us are gifted in different ways, different wirings, and we hear about a need in the body. We go, hey, I can meet that need. I'm gifted here, and I can go meet that need. I can go work on cars or, or build houses or whatever it might be, and I'm going to go meet that need, and I'm going to get up under, I'm going to get up under that person and carry them to safety. That's what Paul's talking about here. Now, imagine what's going to happen to a lost and dying world when they watch the church do that. Now, what's going to happen? Man, they're going to perk up, aren't they? They're going to go, wow. And Jesus says this, that they will know you are my disciples, not by what you say to one another, Not by how you talk to one another, but by how you love one another through action, what you do. So important, church, that we know this. John Bunyan, love that name. Every time I say it, I kind of chuckle. Bunyan, John Bunyan. Here's what he said. Love this quote. You have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. Is that good? 
Let me say that again. You have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. Think about the illustrations that James has been using. The rich guy and the poor guy coming to the church house. You're rich. Hey, you're up here. You can do something for me. Man, you can help me accomplish big things in my life and my world for all my glory and the, the me monster and the me planet and the me universe. Man, you're up here. Wait a minute, you're poor. You don't bring anything to the table. Uh, get out of my presence. See, those are the very people that we should be loving and extending a grace and mercy to those that can do nothing for us. Do we neglect the people that can? Of course not. But so often the people that can do something, boy, our motives, but we get deceived, don't we? The people that can do nothing for us, we're not deceived. We say, I don't want anything to do with you because we know it's work. We're not going to get something from this. Oh, we're going to get something from it. Man, when you obey God, when you serve the least of these, when you minister and care and share and extend the grace and mercy of Christ to someone else, oh, you're going to get something. You're going to be blessed beyond measure. It's important that key number two lives in our lives. People don't care how much you know with words until they know how much you care through action. So here's our last part of our text for today, verse 17. Let's take a look at this together. Verse 17. So here it is. So, so James, again, in 15 and 16, gave us that example through mercy and action. And now he just throws down the gauntlet, doesn't mince words. Here he goes. Verse 17, James 2, so also, don't miss that part, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So here he is, and he says, look, I've given you a question that, hey, if this guy's talking about his faith but not living it, can that save him? Oh, by the way, here's an illustration. Poor people in your body, and they need help. Are you going to take action to help them, or are you just going to talk? Here's the cliff notes, he says, right here, 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let's talk about for a moment this word called works. Often, I've heard people misinterpret this text. So let's be very clear. James is in no way, hear me clearly on this. James is in no way contradicting Paul. In no way. No way. Ephesians 2, 9, it's by grace have been saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by the grace of God. Amen? There is nothing you can do. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough. We can't earn our way into God's graces. That's not how this works. He's not contradicting Paul. If you read all of Scripture, especially all of Paul's writings, you're actually going to come away from this question going, he's actually complimenting Paul. Because all through Paul's writings, he talks about, hey, we got to be well-pleasing to the Lord. I die daily to self. I crucify the flesh. There's a lot of working going on. But again, church, hear it clearly. It's not for salvation. It's from the salvation. Here's the beauty of this. When you and I are truly saved, when it's real, when it's not a hoax, when it's not a charade, when it's real, there will be something so new inside of you and I that again, even though we stumble, we're not perfect, there's going to be a longing, a desire to live for the Lord. 
You will want to live for Jesus when you understand what he did for you. When you understand that he was executed, he was whipped, he was tortured, he was crucified, he was mocked, he was spit upon, Jesus is not going to be your friend with benefits. I mean, he's truly going to be your Lord. He's truly going to be your Lord. You're going to be all in for Jesus when that's real. I was thinking through that thought and couldn't help but notice that word dead. Look in your Bible there for a moment. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, so again, works, what are works? Obedience, deeds, action, surrender, dead though. What's that mean? It means lifeless, without action, inoperative, not producing, never was alive. So think through here again. As we look at this, I I want us to drill down deep right now into key number three. So get ready to write this down. Key number three, a profession of faith that is absent of God-glorifying fruit is dead faith. Let me say it again. A profession of faith, key number three, that is absent of God-glorifying fruit is dead faith. Church, don't allow your life to be marked by an exuberant verbal profession. But the reality is the heart is filled with an empty confession. Don't allow your life to be hanging on, hinging. Don't allow eternity in your life to be hinging on, man, I was baptized when I was seven. That was great. Really good. No, hinge your life on the fact that your life has been transformed. Too many people right now are playing Russian roulette with their salvation. I did this and did that, and it was great, and it was good. What fruit are you bearing? Do people look at me and look at you? We're not perfect, but they go, man, that person's a different person. Like, they've been changed. They're not dragging Jesus along to conform to their agenda. No, Jesus has made all things new in their life, and they're conforming to Jesus' agenda. It's action. It's producing. It's working. Giving your life to Jesus is not mental gymnastics. I see this happen so often. This mental gymnastics exercise of, again, what I did, all the external. This is not what this is. It's all about total surrender. So often I think of the thought where, and I've said it before, so I'm not being critical, but we'll say I've accepted Jesus. It's a good thing. You know, the more I process that, I I really like to say that I've given my life to Jesus, though. To me, that, that shows something different. Like I've accepted him. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But have you given your life to him? All throughout the New Testament, especially, it talks about giving your life to Jesus. That acceptance also brings another thought to my mind, even right now. And, you know, when we understand, when we truly understand, when we truly understand what Jesus did, what he did, the ultimate price, freedom is never free, and it costs Jesus dearly. When we understand what he did as he hung on that cross, Really, it's more of Jesus, will you accept me? Will you accept me? Man, I'm a miserable wretch. I'm wicked. I'm depraved. And will you accept me, Jesus? And you know the answer, what he says, when the heart's contrite and humble. 
All who come to me and are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Cast your care upon me, for my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Jesus, will you accept me? Will you accept me? I was thinking through this continued thought, and you know, one commentator said it like this, and it really struck me when I read this. Here's what the commentator said. Just listen. Any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life and good works is a false declaration. Hmm. Let me say that again. One commentator said it like this. Any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life and good works is a false declaration. I mean, we can have great church attendance. We can quote scripture. We can cut the church lawn. We can take out the trash. We can serve meals in a covered dish. We can help paint the church building, pressure wash the sidewalk, pick up the mail. We can go on and on. We can do all these glorious things. We can be a pastor. We can be a deacon, Sunday school teacher, youth director, youth leader, on and on and on we go. And the reality is this, if the heart has never been changed, we're all eternally lost. It's not about what we do. It's who we become in Christ. Because as I've said before, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter who we are. It matters whose we are. Because when whose we are belongs to Jesus, who we are and what we do will take care of itself. We're so busy worrying about what we're doing and who we are in front of everybody else. And Jesus is over in the corner going, hey, I'm over here, over here. And no wonder our life is off the rails and in the ditch because we're so busy trying to figure out what we're doing and impressing other people by who we are versus resting in the sinless atonement of the glorious Jesus Christ who gave his life as a ransom for many. Oswald Chambers said it like this, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of the years, but by obedience to the will of God. Do you hear that? Oswald Chambers, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of the years, but by obedience to the will of God. So here it is. I want you to write down this final supporting text here. Write down Galatians chapter 5, Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 22 through 26. Because a faith that is real, if you're here today and you're saying, hey, my faith is real, here's the deal. Your faith will bear fruit. There will be faith in action. And here's what the word of God says about this, bearing good fruit. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let's pause there for a moment. Is anyone else exhausted after reading that list? Does anyone else look at that list and go, well, I'm, I'm struggling on love. You know, forget the rest of them. I'm struggling on number one. That's the whole point. As we learn in the rest of the text there that you're going to see in front of you or on the screen, here's what it says. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have done what? Crucified the flesh. Not just talking. Well, there's action. Crucifying the flesh. With its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, capital S, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, that's an interesting verse, isn't it? 26. 
Let us not become conceited, prideful, provoking one another or envying one another. Did you notice here on the list is not fruit of the Spirit? Not, what is it? A self-righteousness, not a fruit of the Spirit. Not bitterness, not unforgiveness. Even sarcasm and trying to dig in at people to inflict pain on them because we're hurting ourselves. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. There will be godly fruit in our lives. That's why the takeaway question is a simple one, but I pray will be answered honestly. Here it is, takeaway question. Is the faith that I claim to have in Christ alive or dead? Just ask yourself that today. Is the faith that you profess in Christ, is it truly alive or is the reality it's dead? There's going to be evidence. Remember, that's the whole point of this. It's not going to be in verbiage only. This is not a, a verbal profession. There is a confession of the heart that takes place. Verbal professions are great, but it's always backed up by a change of the heart when it's real and when it's true. You know, humility is a, a great definer, I believe, of a true believer in Christ. Humility is a great definer of a true believer. And the humility that you see in a true believer will be, yes, in their speech. It will be in what they do, but it will also be in their countenance. Have you ever seen someone who is humble? Well, there's something about their countenance, isn't there? There's this humility on their countenance. You say, preacher, okay, I'm hearing what's saying here. You know, I'm hearing this, but, but I, I need some practical steps. I'm going to give you five steps. Turn that piece of paper over and write these down. Here are five practical steps very quickly that you can implement like today to have your faith be real, vibrant, and alive. Here's number one. Pursue God's glory. Pursue God's glory. Like run hard after God's glory. I'm talking about put everything else aside, your work, your family, your dreams, everything, your church, put it all aside and just run hard after God's glory. Number two, pursue God's word. Pursue it. I didn't sleep well last night. It was a crummy night's sleep and I didn't want to get up this morning to get in the word, but I was just laying there early and it's like I was convicted because I need to be in the word. Now, when I stand here and I speak, if my actions are going to back up what I'm saying, I have to be deep in the word all the day long as the word is going forth. And you know what I noticed? Even though I didn't want to get out of bed, you guys ever been there? You're like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. You know, you'd rather pray for the rapture. You know what I'm talking about? You're just like, oh, this is just miserable. You know what I've learned though? Every time I get out of bed and open that word, I never close the word and go, that was a waste of time. I never close the word and go, man, I, I should have turned on the television. I should have fired up the computer. You close the word going, man, my soul was refreshed. I needed that. Dig into the word, pursue God's word. Number three, pursue God through prayer. Just prayer all the day long. Pray without ceasing. Just talk to him. Just talk to him all day long. Conversations with God all day long. Pursue God through prayer. Pound on the door of heaven all day long. Number four, pursue discipleship. Being one and also making disciples. So pursue discipleship. Be in a small group. Get in accountability. It's not enough to show up to church a couple times a month. 10,080 minutes in a week, you know, I may stand up here and yell at you for 45 minutes or more and hold you hostage. Is that really going to transform your life? No. 
But you got to be in the Word. you got to be praying. you got to be in a small group. There's a lot of doing that has to go on from salvation. If you're just thinking you can detox from the world in an hour or so on a Sunday morning, it will never happen. It will never happen. And you'll fold. At some point, you're going to fold. I mean, you got to just be in the Word. Immerse yourself in the Word. Immerse yourself in God's glory. Immerse yourself in prayer. Immerse yourself in discipleship as you pursue that. And lastly, pursue reaching your Jerusalem. Pursue reaching your Jerusalem, your neighbors, your co-workers, around our church campus. Five practical things, five. Have you guys ever heard these five things before, by the way? Do they sound familiar? Yeah, it's Vision 2020, isn't it? Real simple, not real deep, real practical, but here's the deal. We can talk about it all day long, right? We can cheerlead it, we can make posters and flyers, and, but unless we go do it, our faith in that regard is dead, isn't it? The proof's always in the pudding, isn't it? So here's our action step. Write it down. Action step. If the reality is that my faith is dead, I will humble myself, repent, and ask God to awaken my soul. Write that down. Action step. If the reality is that my faith is dead, I will humble myself, repent, and ask God to awaken my soul. Now, as you're writing that down, I'm going I'm to close here, and don't put your Bibles away, don't move around. I'm going to close here with a final text. Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. So here it is, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the end. It's chapter 5 through 7 of Matthew. And here he is at the end. Jesus is speaking. And we've already seen what's going on here because earlier in chapter 7, Jesus says, look, there's a narrow way and there's a wide way. That There's a narrow path and there's a wide path. That There's a narrow path. And here's the deal. Uh, the narrow way, it's true life. So you got narrow and you have to life you have also few people are going to get on that path. It's a narrow path. And by the way, when it's narrow, what do you take with you when you're on the narrow way? Well, you, you go into your closet, in your garage, you get all your garbage with you, you've been collecting for years, and you just haul it all with you, right? Well, of course you don't. You don't take really much of anything. It's a narrow way. But there's also a broad way. It's wide. It leads to destruction, and many will go in by it. They're going to grow in by the droves. They will go in by the droves. And Jesus says, look, which path are you on? Are you on the narrow way or on the, the broad way? And I ask you that today. When your faith is real, you will be on the narrow path. When your faith is dead, you're on the way to destruction. Then Jesus drills down even further and talks about that you're going to know them by their fruits. You're going to see them by their fruits. And then he comes down here to this text, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Now, Jesus is speaking, so listen up. Here it is. Here's what he says. Not everyone who says, did you catch that? Not everyone who says to me. Do you hear that? Not everyone who says, who talks, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But, but the one who does. So here we go, pause. Not everyone who says, but the one who does the one who has faith in action, the one who exhibits their faith through evidence of a true conversion, but the one who does the will of what? My Father in heaven. Now look at 22, it gets worse. 
On that day, Jesus says, many. Have we heard the word many before? Well, there's a narrow way and it's few, and there's a broad way to destruction where many will go in by it. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And this is an uh-oh moment, isn't it? Can you imagine the panic on these people's faces? Man, we were at church all the time. We got baptized when we were seven. Man, we did the deal. We were just working. It was awesome. No heart transformation. But man, we did all the external things. And on that day, Jesus is saying, you did all these external things, but your heart was far from me. Here's what he's going to say, church. Don't miss this. Here's what the Bible says that Jesus is going to say to those who don't truly belong to him. He's going to say these words, depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. Think about this. I never knew you, depart from me. These are the seven worst words a human can hear. There are a lot of horrible things in life, just demonic things in this earthly life, tragic things in this earthly life. Maybe you've experienced those. And if you have, my heart goes out to you. It truly breaks for you today. But my heart breaks even more. If you're listening to this sermon, if right now you're going, look, my faith is dead. It's not real. I don't want to hear Jesus telling me, depart from me. I never knew you. And yet I believe that the reality is there's going to be a lot of good church-going people. A lot of good church-going people on that day who are hanging their hat on something they did as a kid that didn't mean anything. There wasn't a real transformation of their heart. And yet they're going forth with this assurance that, hey, I'm in the club. Jesus is not looking for what you do for Him. He's looking for you to give Him your life. Have you done that today? I mean, can you truthfully say today that my faith is real? It's not perfect, but it's real. I don't recognize that guy over there. That's the old guy. I don't recognize that lady over there. That's the old lady. I don't don't even want to look at them. It disgusts me because I'm now all Jesus's. Is that you today? I pray if it's not, I pray today will be your day. That you just won't raise a hand and say a prayer and walk an aisle. But I pray today that you will no longer surrender some, but you will surrender all. Father, we come before you. Lord, as we just lift this time up to you, God, I pray that we would just not be sayers, but we would be doers. That our faith would be evidenced through action. It's easy to talk a good game. But at some point, at some point, the charade will be made known for what it is. So God, I just pray, if there's one here, maybe several that have never truly given their life to you. God, I pray today will be the day of salvation. And so God, as we go to you in this time of reflection, as we ponder the word, as we meditate, as we seek you and say, God, what do you want from me today? God, are you going to look at me? Jesus, are you going to look at me on that day and say, depart from me? I never knew you. Are you going to say that, Jesus? Is that the reality that my faith is not alive, but it really is dead? 
God, I pray you'd stir in this time. Stir. Don't allow us to disobey, but I pray this will be a time right now where we get real and honest and open with you. Don't allow us to leave here today not having this settled. But I pray right now, God, Holy Spirit, will you speak? Do the work only you can do. Until you be the praise, till you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.